Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Welcome back, everyone. This is Cleone Crawford, and this is Resilient Minds 365. Mm -hmm. I am here with a special guest. Um, Her name is Kata Edwards-Pierre, and I'm looking forward to learning more about Ms. Um, Pierre, and I I think you're going to really enjoy her story and be really moved by it as well. Who is Kata Edwards-Pierre? Well, Kata Edwards-Pierre is an actor, a businesswoman, a filmmaker, a coach, and 27-year police vet. Kata holds safe space for authentic stories to be told and status quo to be challenged. Her mission is to create, support, and amplify content that inspires, empowers, heals, and transforms us individually, systemically, and globally. With that said, I now present to you, Kata Edwards-Pierre. Hello, Kata, how are you doing today? Tell us. Hi, Hi, Cleone, I'm doing fantastic, and I'm very pleased and honored to be in a space that you hold to speak these stories, our authentic stories out loud. Thank you for the invitation. No problem, no problem. So, Kata, um, tell us a little bit more about your profession, about what you do, what you're doing, what you've done, and um, yeah, and how you got started. Okay. Oh my gosh, how I got started. This is always a big question that we always ask each other. I identify as a multi-passionate, meaning that I do whatever I want to do and whatever I love. Now that means that I'm in a lot of different spaces and that people can't always figure me out. They're like, which box do you belong to? And I just say all of them whenever I feel like it. But (laughs) what I really do right now, uh, you know, put out to the world so that people can start to figure me out is that I'm a businesswoman. I'm someone who, um, I'm a socialpreneur who believes that our journey, our personal journey is closely aligned with our work journey. We've always been taught that it's separate, but I actually don't believe that. And because I've lived a life of passion um, that's been brought about by many different traumatic life experiences that I've had throughout my life uh, and healing that I sought as a result, I, I allow my personal and my professional to integrate. So what that's created is a life and career as an actor. I began acting from high school, but then I left it because I didn't see it as a career per se. I was more interested in law. Um, and now I've gone straight back into acting after retiring from a 27 year uh, police career. Um, I'm also a businesswoman because most actors, we are also business people, but I also run what I call True to Soul Network, which is a socially conscious network of professionals and community. And I'm a life coach, life and business coach. Uh, I've trained and certified in that area. So I find that we all have capacity to do things that interest us and that we're passionate about. And it doesn't have to reside on one side of the brain or the other side of the brain. It's not either or. We can actually uh, bring them together. And that's a, that's a huge part of my message is that do what it is that makes you feel like you and makes you feel good about doing. 
it, it, it would be surprising how many people it truly helps to just witness someone living their life as they want to live it. It makes people know and understand that we really don't have as many limits as we're told that we do. COVID was a great um, enabler of, of breaking out of that mold because people were either through loss of job, through huge life changes, we were forced to kind of look around and say, okay, what, what, what can I do? I can't go into the job that I've been doing for how long? What else can I do? And for other people, they're like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to leave for so long and now I have the opportunity. So huge transitions have happened. Um, so in short, I'm a multi-passionate socialpreneur. Okay, go ahead. I love that. <laughs> very, very interesting. I love that. Social entrepreneur. Yeah. So we, with that said, we are going to go, we're going to deep into, go into the interview part of the mental health piece of the interview. Mm -hmm. So my first question is what mental health challenge have you dealt with in your past? Well, I come from a history of sexual, physical, racial trauma. Um, and of course, included in that, usually with physical abuse, there's emotional uh, abuse as well. Uh, that started from toddlerhood. And so for me, uh, that pushed me into the throes of depression as a child. I had suicidal ideation from very young um, because that, that seemed the only way for things to stop. Uh, mm. what held me here were a few things, as I, you know, I shared with you, it's, it's uh, a best friend that I had. I think of her as my childhood angel. Her name was actually Angie in my mind. And I feel free to share that because what's the likelihood anybody's going to know what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about. Her name was Angie. She was my angel. Um, she was going through her own, uh, abusive situations at home. And we just kind of came together because we understood somehow. I don't recall if we actually shared um, what we were going through. Uh, and I didn't even become aware of what I was going through until grade three, when we were given language through school um, of you know good touch, bad touch and all of that. But with her, somehow we understood that we, we really vibed with each other. And there came a point where she ran away as a kid. And I was like, you gotta come home with me. <laughs> so there I was with this girl, my mom knew about her, but um, she didn't expect her at the dinner table, but my mom was one of those people, someone comes into the house like that, it's like, no, we're feeding this child. But when it came to dark, it became dark and this child was not going home. That's when the questions came. But this, this girl was one anchor for me in the real world. The Bible was another anchor for me. As a kid, I also, I vacillated between wanting to leave and just cling to this thought that if I became a nun, somehow things would be different, you know, if I became this perfect little girl. Um, so I clung to the Bible, um, clung to God, um, so many things, and, and, and uh, my relationships, um, primary relationships, uh, primarily with the females in my family. Those things kept me going and pulled me through. Um, True to Soul, the name of my business is something that's been with me since childhood because that was part of my clinging to the spiritual world that I felt like if I could keep hold of 
this truth, like the, the center, the, the spirit, the God of who I am, my connection to God, that, that, that can save me. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up, what I ended up doing with that is turning it outwards. Um, you know, suicidal ideation <clears throat> and depression are not strangers to each other. I, I found myself going through you know, ups and downs. And I got to a point where I could not come out of the downs. I just, there was nothing around me. I couldn't feel anymore. Um, I, you know, the smile that people look at say, oh my gosh, your smile. That became a really good trick to prevent people from looking into my eyes and seeing that there was really nothing there. I have chunks of my memories as a young person, as a child, and even as a young adult where I had no idea what was going on. Like I wasn't really consciously participating. I was numbed out. I wasn't participating in life. I was, you know, getting by. Mm-hmm. And so all these things, um, all these experiences are happening personally, but also you're, you really need to work hard. I really worked hard to keep up with the world at the same time. And sometimes I would immerse myself in that work in order to get away from anything personal. I would just, you know, go all out in every other area just to avoid, to distract myself from the fact that I didn't want to be home. I didn't want to be here alone. Like I didn't want to be inside myself alone. People could never figure out how I got all the things I would do back then done. They'd be like, girl, you're crazy. How are you, how are you so busy? How are you able to do all of that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and oftentimes people always say they'll, they'll attribute or they won't attribute, they'll connect depression with you're just laying in bed and doing nothing. There are different manifestations of our mental illnesses. There are different manifestations. Yes, there are book formulas um, as to, you know, what, you know, doctors and people expect for different mental challenges, but each person has a different way of showing up with the symptoms um, that's unique to them, a, a, a unique compilation, even though there are pillars upon you know, which that behavior sits, if that makes any sense. Yes. So for me, me, for me, I was in hyperdrive, just everything I could do to be in spaces that would keep me away from being alone with myself. Um, but it got to a point where I had chunks of memory that were missing. Like I, I had no idea what was happening, you know, in certain points of my life. And I wasn't medicating with drugs at that time. I was using, you know, people, situations. I was using food. I was using um, different, different coping mechanisms um, to kind of just veg out and, and pull out of, of feeling and being present. So, um, one of the, the distractions for me was I've, I felt like I had a need to save people all the time. You know, that was one of my diversions, one of my distractions. If I could um, just be there for people and save them and do for them, what I didn't realize at the time was I was doing that because I felt unable to save myself as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I immersed myself in it. I was everywhere all at the same time. And uh, it got to the point where I kept hitting walls. You know, I just kept hitting walls. And one of the main walls for me was uh, when I got uh, to a point where I wanted to have a child and I was told I couldn't have a child. 
It was in my late twenties. And it was due to a surgery that I'd had years earlier as a late teen um, that uh, saved my life. If I didn't have the surgery, I could have died. Um, But the interesting thing was when I went to the doctor to talk about the pain that was, you know, just horrendous, that doctor who was racist, by the way, um, rather than looking into my situation, she told me, oh, girl, you're pregnant. I was like, but I'm a virgin. Now, even that term virgin for me was tough to to carry as a label because I didn't truly feel like I, I had, I had conflict in me as to, am I really a virgin though? Mm -hmm. But for me, not having engaged in relationship, I was a virgin. And so she was just like, you don't have to lie to me. I won't tell your mom. I was like, no, I'm telling you, I can't be pregnant. So we went back and forth. And in the end, I I demanded, I said, I need some kind of test. I don't know what kind of test, but I need to figure out why I'm in so much pain. And she threatened me. She said, if I find out after these tests that you're actually pregnant, you will, you will, whatever she said, it was like a threat. Like I will go to your mother and da, 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 da. Turned out within uh, the day, the next day or the same day, later on the same day that I had the test, they wanted me in the hospital within the same week. Um, so <clears throat> I had the surgery. That surgery um, resulted in things happening in my system that years later prevented me supposedly from having kids. And so that was what I was dealing with. And that reintroduced me into depression (laughs) because I had no expectation not to be able to have children. It's just one of those things when you're younger, um, depending on who you are, if you're inclined towards kids, it doesn't really come to your mind or it didn't for me that you wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to have them. So when I had doctors and specialists and many tests telling me I couldn't have kids, I, something tripped in me. All kinds of things opened up that I didn't, I had been avoiding up until then. Um, and um, I had to revisit, I had to figure out how to deal with that. I had so much going on in my life and I didn't feel like I had, um, I felt like my, my life was imploding. <clears throat> and then at that point I was on the police service. I had uh, courses that I was a part of programs. I was doing community advocacy. I was doing so many things. And I didn't think I had the luxury of just stopping and imploding. But at the same time, I felt frozen, like I didn't know what to do. Um, And that was part of what sent me into therapy, that and the the courses that I was taking, holistic training. Um, Mm -hmm. Holistic training, you have to go through psychotherapy. You can't be in a position of offering therapy to others and not have um, your own processes and your own growth and your own introspection being taken care of. So those com- the combination of many things brought me into therapy. Um, and that's when I started to get some insights. Uh, you know, I, before that, I, I didn't really care about the blank spots in my memory. I, I didn't even, I don't think I was even aware of it really. Right. But, different little things started to come about and make me acutely aware of how numb I was going through life. And um, so I continued, I continued with the training, I continued with therapy, 
I sought more training. I looked into different modalities of therapy and it allowed me to not avoid pain. In fact, I had to go through the pain that I was avoiding. Uh, there, there are a lot of things, I think mis misunderstanding sometimes of what therapy and different modalities of healing um, can do. It doesn't help us avoid pain or keep pain out of our life. It allows us to process it in a different way. And so these tools, these resources are things that I began gathering and gathering. And bit by bit, I began to understand a bit more of what happened, um, the five W's and H of, you know, who I am and, uh, you know, who, what, where, when, why, how mm -hmm. to get all of them. And uh, because, you know, it, it's funny when you avoid, there's a whole bunch of amazing things about our, our, ourselves that we also avoid. I was avoiding true joy when I was avoiding my pain. Like I couldn't really laugh at that time in my life. Um, I could pretend. A yes. Great chameleon. Anyone who's in pain, um, anyone who's been through anything uh, can know what it is to, you know, erect masks and be a chameleon. But I found that the, the laughter didn't get into my heart. Like I, and I would wonder sometimes like, how come I'm not feeling it? What is that? Like, I, I know how to smile. I know how to laugh. I know how to make it sound really good, but I missed the joy. And when I started going through my healing processes, I began to feel, yes, the pain, but I also began to feel joy again in different little ways, incrementally growing. Um, and now I'm in a position in my life where healing continues. And I understand healing to be a return to who we actually are, how we actually are, our wholeness. That's, that's what healing is. Healing isn't acquiring something. The doctors didn't give me healing. Um, you know, natural medicine doesn't give me healing. Uh, people don't give me healing. You know, it's, it's us returning to the essence of who we are. And for people that could be universe, that can be God, that can be Buddha, it could be, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the name is. It's a back to a wholeness. And so through that, I can go through painful experiences. Um, one of, you know, 2021 was one of the most painful in my life. Um, short of what I experienced as a kid, I lost my father. There are many personal familial things that happened in, you know, for me last year. And uh, if that year was visit visited upon me in my 20s, I don't know. I don't know. I may still be here. I may not. It, it was a kind of year that it's a totaling year. And so I'm grateful for the decades of, you know, acquiring resources and tools and supports and people around me that have made me um, feel supported, um, been able to go through this healing process with some equanimity, with some, you know, neutrality and allowing me to experience the emotions rather than avoiding them. You know, there's still some of the avoidance, trust me. You know, I still work on my stuff for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but not to the extent where I'm not living life as I was when I was younger. It's, it's more to the extent of going through and peeling away the onion, uh, you know, the filters and the, the masks and the experiences that I've accumulated over my life 
and you know going through and releasing what no longer serves me you know allowing what what does serve me and 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 healing i'm on my own journey that was a very long answer to your question that is okay you you answered a few questions <laughs> but it actually um i i actually do have a follow-up question yes. um it's, I want to, I want to understand what it felt like going through sexual trauma as a child and dealing with feelings of um, suicide, ideation and depression. Um, did you have any outlets? Did you have people to, I mean, you had Angie and she became your friend, but how, how did you deal, how did you deal with the, the, the traumas that you were dealing with, like what did, did, did you have, did, did your family notice what was going on? Um, I'm curious. Okay. So how did I deal? I think what a lot of people who, who may not have been through childhood traumas, um, you know, adverse childhood experiences is a term, ACEs, um, is that unless uh, depending on the age that you've gone through it, unless you know differently, you do not know. So I had no understanding um, to deal with. Do you know what I'm saying? There, there were emotions, definitely. It's not to say that there weren't emotions. There, there were, it, it's, it's confusing. Mm. So you're dealing with uh, an environment where this has formed what your normal is contending with the emotions that are not okay. And then you're given language by whomever, you know, school, whatever may be happening. And in answer to your question without disclosing, um, and because I don't normally feel it necessary to get into the nitty gritties of stuff, but no, my family didn't all know. So it's, it's one of those things where a lot of children who are going through things, which is why I have a huge issue with us not offering adequate support to children, um, yes. you know, uh, um, believing children, making safe space for children. Um, we say a lot of great things, mm -hmm. um, but a lot of our systems fail our kids. Yes. And that's why this work that I do, the main focus that I, I'm, I'm moving towards is for children, because I know what it is to feel alone. And so as a child, I became a master um, at being a chameleon. That's what happens. We, we learn how to survive. We figured out very quickly as kids. Our kids, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's wired into us to survive. And short of um, something that physically um, can take us out as kids, mm -hmm. we find ways. And sometimes those ways are judged so harshly by society. Um, and it's not to say that there isn't wrong and right and, and all of that, you know, but because of our lack of our understanding, sometimes we further brutalize or re-traumatize our kids. You know, uh, in the educational system, a child who may not be paying attention, who may be acting out, um, who may be doing all sorts of things. It's not to say, well, let's not pay attention to that um, and just say, oh, that poor child's been through stuff. What I'm saying is 
to pay attention to that and to acknowledge that there are other reasons and priorities for that child. We've already gotten to the point where we recognize that some kids are coming to school with no food in their belly, either through neglect or through think, you know, socioeconomic reasons mm-hmm. that that's happening. Why would they care that four, 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 four plus four makes eight? Why would, we, why would we make that the priority for a child who may be starving either for food or attention or for normalcy, for, for family, for safety in their hierarchy of needs? Maybe there's something that's, that's missing. And we are, we are so consumed with our own story and our own job as whether we're a police officer, teacher, doctor, whatever it may be that we don't even see that this child is, is crying out. So for me, I, I kept a lot of that on the DL. I, was, I, found, I figured out quickly that people thought I was a cute kid and that if I smiled, people did not pay attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, my outlet in, in answer to your question was um, the Bible, reading. I read three books a day as a kid. I found my little space and I read all the time. My vocabulary is what it is because I loved to read. I would go for the dictionary and learn like 10 words a day because I, you know, and the thing is people, when we hear stories of trauma, we think it's homogenous. It's just like one stark, solid 16 years of absolute brutality. That wasn't my experience. I'm not saying I speak to anyone else's experience. I had experiences of joy as a kid. Um, um, I had love, you know, healthy love in in my home as well. Um, You know, my mom is the one who taught me. uh, I remember one time I said I was bored and she's like, really? And she's the one that suggested the dictionary. And I went at that dictionary, but she knew I loved to read. And I built up, you know, I have a love of language. I built up a love of language. Reading was my outlet. The Bible was my outlet. I loved art. I drew very, very well. And uh, people thought I was going to become an architect. And for a little while there, I did. I also thought I was, but it wasn't meant to happen. My other outlet was just, you know, being outside, being outside. Um, I loved storms. Uh, I still love storms. I loved to see them coming because we lived in the west side of Canada, where it was very flat. Those who are from the area that I'm talking about know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, very flat, so you can see storm storm coming for like ever. So I love to sit, you know, and and watch the storm coming at the end of the field. My my solace was in aloneness. So and I also we moved a lot. So I went to many schools and uh, elementary schools and several high schools. So I didn't have. It wasn't hard for me to hide what I didn't want people to see. Because I was always getting to know people. So I showed them what they wanted to see, what I thought they needed to see. And because they didn't have like a lot of history, they wouldn't know to question it. I could reinvent myself whenever I wanted to. I didn't, I didn't do like huge reinventions, but I, I kept things relatively superficial. So, you know, the smile, the talk, I also got into a lot of fights. I'm a very strong female for my size. And so there, you know, as a kid, there, there was always something, as a new kid, you're always tested. So for as many schools that I went to, there are that many times that I had to prove myself over and over again. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that 
I'm in a space of my life where I'm, I'm, I earned my love back. I earned my self-love back. And so therefore I would change no moment before the moment that I'm in right now, because I know that it would change who I love right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as a kid, I didn't really understand any of that. All I knew is that I had to escape through these different, different um, mechanisms from how I was feeling, which was horrible. I had to get escape from the present. Um, and um, there were times when the present wasn't horrible. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I look back with some fondness at, at many moments in my childhood. It wasn't all horrible. Um, but uh, again, it, you know, the escape and the coping, I think it's important to understand that sometimes as kids, depending on what age you're talking about, we don't understand the contrast. We don't understand the wrongness sometimes at one point. When we do understand the wrongness, then it becomes a battle inside of us because it's not always, it's not always apparent who you can talk to. Like who, who is a child going to go talk to? Who's going to believe a child? Who's going to not blame the child? Um, in, in many families, talking about that stuff is the worst thing that you could possibly do. Sometimes you get punished as the child. A child doesn't have the same worldview of, okay, here's something wrong. So we got a problem solved and identifying the people that we can go to. And this is what I'm going to do. A child is in a developmental stage where it's, it's, it's sometimes not even possible to see outside of ourselves if we're talking about a certain developmental stage, right? So we have where the world is us. We're the center of the world, mm-hmm. right? So we're not perceiving that we can go to this person necessarily. In, in, in that age, for me, many adults, particularly ma- male, meant danger. Right. Right? So, and, and um, you know, depending on who's groomed you and who's uh, abusing you, you may be made to feel that if you go to the person that you would normally trust, that that person might be in danger or that you'd be in danger from that person, that person would no longer love you. It's very complicated. It can be very complicated. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I feel if we really put our money where our mouths are mm-hmm. and, and be there for our kids, that we can start to, to do a lot um, from in a multi-faceted approach to protect our children and um, have them know that they're treasured as much as we say that we treasure them, really show them that they are treasured. Right, right. Very good points, very good points. So I'd like to know, what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest points? Oh, well, there's a lot of things that I wish I had available. But uh, I'll stick with just a few of them. Okay, so um, for me, going through going through what I went through, um, I didn't have a full understanding um, or self awareness. And and you asked me this question. I'm just gonna read what I put, and I'll explain further. So I wish I had a trustworthy and effective support in people who looked like me, understood my needs, not only as a survivor, but as a black woman. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I told you the story of that medical doctor that did not 
engender trust of uh, medicine and not medicine in general, but of doctors for me. I had not seen, it didn't even necessarily need to be a black woman. I didn't see someone who would trust, uh, that I could trust and that would believe me when I talked as opposed to counter what I say or dismiss what I say or you know, I, I didn't feel that I had that trustworthy and effective support network uh, when I was ready to come forward and, and talk with someone. In fact, um, I haven't talked out loud um, about a lot of the stuff into my, um, until I was in my 40s, I believe. So before that, it's been a lot of kind of looking for the right people, looking for the right supports, um, getting re-traumatized with the wrong people, and that's what actually inspired me to make True to Soul Network is because it's not okay for us to be in crisis or even if it's before we're in crisis and be traumatized by people who have their own journeys that they've not yet dealt with, their own stuff, their own baggage. Because people who be traumatized are usually people who've got stuff that they need to work through. Mm-hmm. And instead, rather than working through it, they're kind of dumping it on clients and patients and that sort of thing. You know, we, we, t- we hear about police uh, abuse, we hear about um, teachers uh, abusing, we hear about doctors, we hear all kinds of stories. And while none of that is right, the reality is we as uh, human beings, we're just, we're not fixing broken systems. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again and allowing trauma, unprocessed trauma to re-traumatize people who need help. So that's one, I'd want trustworthy and effective support. I wish I had that. A safe, supportive, trauma-informed and inclusive space to heal and be authentic. So I would go into different spaces, um, not necessarily just to find healing, but just to, to be, um, be authentic, be real out loud. And mm, didn't find a lot of those either. It was kind of like right. not trauma-informed, people not understanding that there are certain things that you really can't do in public spaces because you don't know how triggering that could be. Even this conversation, who knows how triggering that is for someone who may be listening. But what I, I like about what you do with Strive and you know Thrive and Live is that you're, you're, you're letting people know, hey, this is delving deep into stuff so people know coming in. This, this could be something that triggers you, right? Mm-hmm. But um, going through my journey yeah, there aren't, there weren't back then um, a lot of spaces that were trauma informed. This is something relatively new that we're, we're aware of now or spaces that felt safe or supportive. Um, so I wish I would have had more of that. Um, it could have changed the trajectory of my healing journey, even though I still stand by the fact that everything I, I'm doing and how I'm doing it is how I, I've had to do it in my healing journey. Um, uh, awareness and understanding that I'm not alone. I, I, I wish I had that, uh, you know, the awareness that, you know, for the f- so many decades, over three decades that I kept things very deep within me because I thought there's no possible way that uh, I could come out and talk about this. What, what would happen with my reputation? What, um, you know, how would people judge me? Who, you know, my work, my, all these things that go through the mind. It's, it's almost like a fear of death. Yes. How, you know, big it is. I remember the night that I actually first decided, okay, I, I can't be a coach and, 
and guide people and do this work and create a safe space that's inclusive and authentic if I'm not willing to be okay with my story. Um, and <clears throat> that's all it is. It's life experiences that make a story. It's not who I am, but I needed to deal with that. I don't believe in sensationalizing stuff, mm-hmm. but I do believe in being able to speak authentically. So I created this random blog somewhere. I'm sure it's probably somewhere on the net. I have no idea. And um, I decided I was going to put, you know, speak my words out loud that I'm a survivor of trauma. And man, it was late. The house was asleep. I was sweating. My fingers were slick. I was like cold sweating. (laughs) My armpits were soaked. (laughs) I was just like, um, I, I could still feel some of the feelings around like my skin it was just I wanted to do it I had been working up to it for so long and I was I had written it to the I could do no more editing it was ready to either do or die and so it took me I felt like hours just to press the enter button and I pressed it and went to bed I was like because this was after a shift Mm -hmm. uh, evening shift it was in the middle of the night and I thought Whoever sees it won't even know me. Like, who cares? It's not like I'm telling people about this. It's just out there. Who cares? This is for me. And I had people responding. I had people oh. saying me too. <laughs> like, me too. Oh my gosh. I had all kinds of responses. And me waking up, me seeing people respond help me, my logical ass piece of my brain, understand you're not going to die from this. this. This is not a death. It's a death in a way, because it was a death of me being so fearful about speaking these words out loud. Yes. Death of my perception of how horrible a person I am because of what I was subjected to, which is a fallacy that many survivors experience. Um, so that um, is another piece, the awareness and understanding that I have gained from living authentically and out loud. I wish I would have had it further back then, but it's paradoxical because I have this awareness and understanding now because of what I've experienced and lived through, right? So. Amazing, amazing. All right, so I'm gonna ask another question. Yes. So what words of hope can you give to our listeners? What would you tell them? I would say that you are not alone. You are not alone. And that as long as we have breath in our body, we have opportunity. Opportunity for anything. You know, people can say what? It's opportunity for anything. As long as we have breath, we have opportunity. Those are the words that I would say. That's very powerful words of um, encouragement. Definitely. I love it. Mm-hmm. So with that said, we are going to do a quick switch, a uh, shift in the interview. Okay. Um, so um, as you see behind me, there is a book. It's called The Music of My Life. It's basically my book about my story with music therapy and bipolar disorder and so forth. So with that said, my question to you is, what type of music do you like? 
Oh my gosh. I just say eclectic because honestly, literally it's across the board. It's so across the board. The only thing that I, I truly can say I, I don't listen to is too heavy metal. Like if it's too, mm-hmm. I enjoy rock, but if it gets too heavy metal, yeah, that not so much, but everything else. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm still discovering music. So eclectic. Yeah. All right. I love it. Love it. All right. And if you were to think of a song that best describes your story, your journey, what would it be and why? Yeah, that would be Soul Bird Rise by India Irie. Ooh. And I'll just read the a verse from it that says, yeah. I believe in open doors. I'm outside of the box. What did not demolish me simply polished me. Now the clearer I can see. Ooh. This describes my journey so well. Um, yeah, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I know I'm living proof of that. I am proof of that. I am. Uh, many of us are. And when we come out from under the shame and guilt and like the, the round and round and round in our minds and our hearts about stuff that's not within our control, we can look back and see how beautifully shaped we are, how, you know, our understanding, our empathy, our compassion, our capacity to love is, is, is there. Um, some people can say in spite of living through traumatic incidents, for me, it's coming out of those traumatic incidents and still living to speak about it um, is what's helped to expand my compassion and my empathy and my radar. Mm-hmm. Um, we can often sense each other, you know, when we pay attention, there are certain things, certain markers, certain indicators um, that we can recognize because we've been there. And um, I'm polished. I'm polished because of all of my life experiences, not just the positive. We're socialized to avoid pain. We're socialized to avoid any discomfort. And it's sad because that socialization is contributing to us really trying to escape things that we have capacity and strength to walk through. Um, And it just creates more challenges for us. But being able to see how my life experiences have shaped who I am and how I am and why I am, my purpose, Mm -hmm. um, it's given me clarity. My healing has given me clarity. Now, I'm not fatalistic in what I say. I'm not saying all those horrible things have made me such a great person. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the, the trite saying of everything happens for a reason, because sometimes that can be quite offensive for people. Yes. I'm saying that I see um, the purpose in my life. I see how things have contributed to who I am and how I am today. And I'm grateful and I love who I am today and learning to love myself more and more and more. Um, And this song really, really captures that for me. And the way that she sings it is is so beautiful as well. And so, yeah, yeah, I definitely live outside the box. I definitely live outside the box, so. (laughs) Okay, I really have to, I definitely will look up that song and um, listen to it and check it out. I love India Irie. She's a really great, great singer. Great singer. Yeah, she is. 
So how can we stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Okay, so beingkeda.com, that's my website. It has my different offerings and a bit about who I am and, and what I do and how I do it. Um, my LinkedIn is Kada is true to soul. That's where you can find me on LinkedIn. On IG, um, I have my true to soul, uh, my being Kada at Instagram or my true to soul at, uh, at uh, in Instagram. And so you'll find that there is, if you put in true to soul, you'll find me. If you want just me and not about the company True to Soul, then usually being Kada on IG, on Facebook, um, on um, even I believe Twitter, it, it's it's there as well. Although my Twitter is like this small because I haven't paid attention to it. But um, YouTube True to Soul Network and um, Pinterest even Kada at True to Soul. So these are my spaces, either my name or True to Soul will help you find me. And that's T-R-U-E, number two, S-O-U-L. And uh, that space is like my dedication to all of us who've been through life and need a safe space, safe, inclusive space to be who we are powerfully, especially if you're a multi-passionate, that's a space for you. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thank you very much, Kata, for um, sharing your experience with us. Um, truly, um, it was very powerful and um, your story, I believe it will touch um, many uh, of our listeners. So I'm really looking forward to um, airing it. And yeah, I, I really believe it's gonna touch people's hearts. So with that said, and to all you resilient minds out, th out there, until next time, please subscribe to us on all, all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also, join the community of resilient minds and sign up for the monthly newsletter at www.cleonicrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of my book, The Music of My Life on, on Amazon Marketplaces to get to know me better. If you can think of one person that will receive his value from today's show, or connect with Kata's testimonial, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at onlycleone or resilientminds365 and today's guest at beingkata, being Kata. Yes, um, on IG or True to Soul Network. Yeah. Or True to Soul Network um, on IG. And remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm Cleone Crawford, and I'm signing off.